0: Coming up on episode 105 of Appetite for Distortion, we go back to the early days, the good old days of MTV. Our guest is Asher Ben-Ruby, a.k.a. Smash, who did a very infamous interview with Guns N' Roses back in 1987. You may remember the destruction at the end of this interview. Now you're remembering. We got the man who did the interview. We're going to break it down. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Do you know what he was? You know where you
2: are. This is Appetite for Distortion.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 105, 105, and the guests just keep getting cooler and cooler. Uh, today, before I go into my uh, the spiel and, and our guest for today, just, you know, of course, thanks for joining us, whether you found us through AlternativeNation.net, through the iHeartRadio app, through Spreaker, through Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, YouTube. Google Play, Sundial, wherever you found us, you know, I, it's, it's very much appreciated. New listeners all the time reaching out from all across the world. It's uh, very, very humbling, and uh, it allows me to d- continue to do this, to talk to cool people, and uh, it somehow all has to do with Guns N' Roses in our, and in our universe. We all come together and, and meet here, so it's much appreciated. Uh, so today, episode 105 is another episode I never thought I would ever do. Uh I grew up an MTV kid when MTV actually stood for music television. Uh, you know, just the, the, the beginning of the, unfortunately, the end when they had the first real world and then it just all turned into reality shows. But before that. So I grew up watching this. I mean, I was young uh, when this interview, specific interview came out, four years old. So I don't, I know I didn't see it live, but I've still seen it growing up. Uh, the Guns N' Roses 1987 MTV interview, uh, you wake like, why would I remember a specific interview from a year? Some of you are geeks and, and know all that stuff. Uh, but you would remember because on any of those top 100 moments on VH1 or any of these music shows, you would see this as a top 100 moment all the time. Uh, because Guns N' Roses t- uh, destroyed the set at the end of it. So we're going to go over the interview a little bit later on, but uh, more importantly, we're going to talk to the legend from that video, and I'm not talking to anyone from GNR. Do I call you Asher? Do I call you Smash, uh, the Smasher, Asher Berube? Uh, What do do I call you?
1: (laughs) Well, my name is Asher Ben-Ruby. And uh everybody just calls me Smash. Smash is a pseudonym that I took on back in the early seventies and uh, it just stuck and Smash is like your buddy, you know. Asher Ben Ruby might be your neighbor but uh, you call him by a different name, just like some your neighbor might be Bob if you call him Bubba, you know. So I'm just a smash.
0: I love it. And and we spoke on the phone. You have this that That natural radio voice. You just came out like a Wolfman Jack. See, I have to change my voice to sound cool to do that. And it's just naturally you. I mean, just to play part of it so people can... Like, oh, that that voice uh, sounds familiar. Smash
3: right here in the middle of the head-banging ball, Uh (laughs) uh-huh. It's
0: just (laughs) such a badass. Just such a badass. (laughs) So we're going to get... uh, I think it it sounds almost sped up. Yeah. But,
1: uh, yeah, my voice sounded a little bit higher then, but yeah, I still have the same inflection, shall we say.
0: (laughs) Well, this is, it looks like it was recorded, (laughs) like, off of VHS, so I don't know what the quality is. Uh, but yeah, but still,
2: have, have sped up. That's you. Know? you. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's you. That's so me. since
0: uh, you have the radio voice, you are you're, you are more than just a former a former uh, MTV VJ. You have a history in in radio. I would you say that was that's predominantly like who you are a radio guy or no?
1: Uh, you know, I, I was doing an interview one time and a guy said, cause I have a, a band out here in St. Louis, the smash band. And he said, it must be cool to be a DJ with a band. I said, yeah, I guess it would be. He said, well, what do you mean? You're a DJ with a band, aren't you? I said, no, I've always considered myself a musician hmm. with a radio show. Interesting. So as a musician with a radio show, I understand bands, and that's why in my time, I did uh, like 40 years on uh, rock and roll radio in my time, I was able to converse and hang with musicians of all caliber uh, because of the fact that I am one of them. I just... Maybe not to have had the same level of success as, as some of them and yet had more success than others, you know. So I'm a musician, and I fortunately have been able to translate that into a nice career in radio, TV, and stage.
0: Okay. Yeah, you remind me of uh, my, my friend Joe Rock, who's the same. He's, I'll give him a shout-out. He just opened up for, oh, who's that actor? It's something in The Sharks, Dennis Quaid in The Sharks. And oh,
1: Dennis Quaid, that's right. Yeah,
0: uh, Joe Rock right. and the All-Stars just opened up for them. At and they're the, uh, pretty Paramount. good. Man. Yeah, yeah.
1: They're pretty good because uh, a lot of times these actors, they're they really, you know, it's kind of like actors want to be musicians, musicians, musicians want to be actors, but nowadays uh, with the melding of various talent gifts that anyone can have. Uh, oftentimes, you got a guy who might be great on the screen and kicks ass as far as uh, on stage in front of your very own eyes and ears is concerned.
0: As long as you're organic, you know, and you know... The, yeah, right. You know, it, it, it comes off. I think it's some of those who are actors who try to be in the music business who just really come in with their actor attitude and try to be this mm-hmm. character and overdo it. But that's a yeah. whole other... Whole other thing, but I figure, in, in addition to talking about, of course, Guns N' Roses on this podcast, it might be fun to kind of relive. You know, it would be an honor for me to do some radio with you. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's do. do hey, you know, are, cool, you fa- I mean? are you familiar with the uh, the Guns N' Roses song uh, "Shotgun News" or "Shotgun Blues" rather?
1: Oh well, I, you know, I haven't uh, heard this stuff in a long, long time. All right. Well, I'm, I'll give you. It,
0: yeah. I'll give you. Uh, well, what I did, and you would, you know, maybe yeah. had a, a cute little radio jingle like this. Uh, news. Uh, see, just like in, in shotgun news, that's good. <laughs> Thanks. That's a good. That's a good play off of that, man. It's I, nice I, to you. I try. I mean, that's the uh, the radio in me. I need to have my my yep. soundboard and you know no. Don't worry, no like fart sound effects or slide whistles or anything like that. Just you know sometimes right some some GNR related uh sound yeah. bites. So the first thing I I want to mention in in shotgun news is well. I mean, these the story has been we we've been talking about it. Like will there be another Guns N' Roses record after, you know, uh Mama Axel and Papa Slash or whatever you want to say got got back together with this happen. And and I'll talk about my yeah. Richard Ford's interview in just a moment. And Richard recently said uh that he he believes or he hopes that once Slash is done with his current uh tour of his that they'll go back and do more recording. So, uh this is what Slash said and some people just the way they look at the band, look at it as like maybe a hierarchy, so maybe it means more. Uh, Slash recently spoke to the Japanese music critic and radio personality, I'm sure you know who that is, uh, Mesa Ito of, uh, of Rock City, so I, don't, mm-hmm. I want to make sure I give the proper credit. I'm familiar. Okay. <laughs> I'm familiar. So he goes, uh, Axel, Duff, myself, and Richard uh, have talked about, well, there's material and stuff going on already for a new record. He confirmed this. Uh, It's just with Guns N' Roses. You don't go, oh, there's a plan and it's going to be like this because that's not how it works. So basically, the only real answer is to – is is basically that we're hoping to put out a record out and we'll just uh, wait to see what happens when it happens. (laughs) So uh, that's a a typical Guns N' Roses answer, you, you might say, but I look at it as a positive and uh, where the band has gone since 1987 when you interviewed them till now? I mean, who would believe that you would yeah. be talking about New Guns and Roses music in 2019?
1: Yeah, but that uh, appetite, uh, appetite for a Destruction album was so so badass in its way. You knew it was going to have a, a grasp on, on a long tenure, you know?
0: But yeah, th- th- but didn't you see, like, a lot of flash-in-the-pan kind of bands that might have a badass record? Oh, yeah. and they, I mean, that's so long ago. I'm, I'm almost... Yeah. You know, that was just a few years after I was not to date, you know, to date you or anything, <laughs> yeah. but a few years after I was born to think about a band of that era. Like how many interviews did you do in that era? And then they they went on to be what Guns N' Roses became and still is. I mean, you couldn't have thought that, no?
1: Well, I was fortunate in that uh, I I came into this business in an era when
0: everybody was coming up
1: and so you didn't know who was going to land and who wasn't going to land but you knew everyone was going through the same just to use a term experience struggle effort that uh, that everybody was even i myself uh for example i was very fortunate in my early days to be in some great bands uh really one band, three different names. And we had uh, national tours. We opened up for uh, Rush. We opened mm. up for Bob Seger. We opened up, uh, we used to play alongside Sticks. We used to play alongside Cheap Trick. Oh, wow. Cheap Trick was, was great because we were from Indianapolis. They were from Chicago. And so whenever we went into their territory, we opened up for them. Whenever they came into our territory, they opened up for us. It was uh, really a fantastic era, average white band. I mean, Hmm. we had to open up for all of them. We got uh, signed in the early days. We opened up with our own record label out of Indianapolis, Indiana, out of Broaderville Village. We called it Village Records. And then then Mercury Records bought us up, and uh, the next album came out, and then the band uh, went ahead and they went into rock and roll and continuing to do nightclubs, arenas, uh, opening act type of things, headlining type of things. I went into the radio business, got a nice break to go into the TV side of broadcasting also. So you never knew in those days. Now, days, now days, the way things go, sometimes because of the, as is called, manufacturing of hits, mm. Well, you might see somebody, and yeah, they're fantastic. What a great song, but you never see them again. Here, what you saw was the upward climb, and uh, it's not like you're on a rung on the ladder, and you better hope you go up, but you might go down. Uh, back then, we, we were going up the ladder, man. and we get, Some people got higher up the ladder than others, that's all.
0: Fair enough. No, And you were able, since you were a part of it, you could tell who was authentic and who had it. Oh, yeah, definitely so, man. So uh, what was the? You said you had three names uh, for the band. What was was there a name that we should know more than uh, the other? Mouse Rat. Yeah, we
1: yeah we started our first band in high school, and uh, in high school that band was like they say these high school garage bands. Uh, That was 1967. The band was called Frenchie and the Wee Wees, O-U-I-O-U-I-S.
0: <laughs> I love it. Frenchy
1: and the Wee Wees, yeah. So Frenchy and the Wee Wees, we wound up going to college. Uh, uh, me and a guy named Mike Reed, we kind of started this whole thing up along with our buddies. And we went to college to Indiana University. We were roommates over there, and then we started up a band there, a bunch of white boys playing black music, and we called it Pure Funk. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a major success as a college party, Fred band, almost Animal House-like. And uh, then we started doing originals. Originals got us to go with a a name that didn't signify the party-esque nature of it, because pure funk signified a party. We went with Roadmaster because we were masters of the road. We traveled so much, selling our albums, our 45s, whatever the case may be. Hmm. And we became Roadmaster. And then uh, we let go of the first album, which uh, uh, was partially produced. Uh, by Todd Rungren and we uh, finished off the rest of it. And then we got the, the Mercury Records deal signed. I left the band for a big offer to work in in Indianapolis radio. The band went on without me, had uh, really a nice level of success on the regional level and to a certain extent uh, on the national level. I went on into uh, radio, worked in Indianapolis for about four years, went on to another one of the great radio stations of, of its era, and that's DC 101 out of Washington, D.C. Sure. When, I, when I first got there, I got a call from this guy, Bob Pittman, hmm. and uh, he knew a fellow that I knew named Lee Masters. Those guys were kind of like the guys who started MTV. So Bob Pittman calls me out of the blue and, and invites me to be one of the early-on DJs there. I said, I just signed a contract with DC 101, man. I You know, you don't walk out on your contract. And so he said, okay, well, when you're free, give us a call back, and if we can make an arrangement, then, then let's see about getting you on here. So I got free, I think it was about seven, eight years later, something like that. And so I called back, um, and by then it was uh, different people running at things, but I got put through to uh, a guy named Steve Leeds. Steve Leeds was... He was my boss over there and became a friend also. But he was my boss over there at MTV. He's the one that brought me in uh, after arrangements had been made through Mr. Pittman. And uh, I was able to get onto MTV for a short period of time as uh, an era between the departure of Mark Goodman and the arrival of Adam Curry. It was about an eight-month mo- eight period there. Okay, were They were going go, to go with a different radio DJ each week. And thus, uh, take care of uh stroking you know areas as far as getting m t v built was concerned, so uh they pulled me out of uh d c and I went on and after the first week, they said, well." We're going to go ahead and cancel these other guys, and would you stay until Adam Curry comes on? Adam Curry was coming out of Holland, I'm thinking, uh, at at that particular point in time, and uh, MTV Europe. And uh, so I said, yeah, man, it was MTV. I had some time because I had already signed a deal to work at Hot 97, which is a brand-new urban station that was opening up in New York City. You
2: worked at Hot 97,
0: too?
1: Well, I'm getting ready to tell you the story. I thought, man, how killer will this be? to be the first guy on Hot 97 because they're getting ready to open it up and also have a gig on MTV because I could do mornings on Hot 97. Then you tape at various points in time on MTV. Uh, They called me uh, three days before I was supposed to start on Hot 97. MS Communications was the name of the company and said, would you consider coming to St. Louis? We're having some trouble with our ratings and revenue in st louis at KC 95 which was a yeah another one of the great radio stations is, uh, in america at that time oh yeah, yeah definitely and uh so as is dc 101 still one of the great stations out of that area
2: yeah.
1: and so um i thought to myself you know as much as i love urban music uh I don't know urban New York. I know urban Indianapolis because I went to a black high school and we grew up in that community. And so I was uh, one of the few Caucasian children who were accepted amongst the black community. Mm-hmm. So that was a nice, nice angle of growing up because you got to learn a whole different look at the world, you know, an understanding of the world. So we had just had two babies and Indianapolis is only five-hour drive at that time from St. Louis. Uh, it costs a lot more to have uh, an opportunity to go back to Indianapolis from New York or have Indianapolis people come to New York. So I said, okay, I'll go ahead because KC-95 at that time was a premier rock and roll outlet in the, in the world. I said, okay, I'm going to come on back and uh that's that's what happened there. At that point in time, I had that little eight-month window between the end of the DC 101 contract to the beginning of the Casey contract. So I took that eight months, and I slid into that slot at MTV, and part of that slot was – I remember babysitting Elijah blue, who was Cher's son. She brought the kid over there and they came to me and said, Hey, go play a pinball with this kid. Do something with him. We got to interview Cher, said, Okay. So I played uh, pinball with him for about an hour and a half kid, while Cher was doing her interview over there. So we had a lot of, a lot of great stories, especially seeing like downtown Julie Brown and, sure. and, uh, and, and the other Julie Brown, there was uh, a black Julie Brown and a white Julie Brown. And, uh, To see them, you know, in the morning before they put their makeup on and everything. see the reel of it all, you know. So it was all a pretty uh, cool experience. And I got to be a host of Headbangers Ball. And I like that kind of music, uh, you know. And so I said, fine. So I did the Headbangers Ball. And one day they said, this new band's coming, Guns N' Roses. And they have an al- album, their first album, Appetite for Destruction. Now, <clears throat> when they came, there's a lot of stories out there in the press as to how this all came about. Now, you can read all those stories. You can hear all those stories. But I'm going to tell you the truth. You believe whatever you want to believe. Hmm. But I'm going to tell you the truth. So we've got Guns N' uh, uh, Roses coming in, Appetite for Destruction. I had found out that that studio was to be demolished after that show and a new headbanger's ball set was getting ready to be put in place. So I go to Steve, Steve Leeds, and I say, What do you think about we just let these guys destroy this studio just like rock and rollers do? Because back in the early days, the Who used to be renowned for throwing TVs out of hotel windows yeah. and all that kind of stuff, you know? And so I said, Why don't we let these boys just tear this place up? Well Steve said, Well that's all right with me Go talk to the set producer. I talked to the set producer. Great idea. And so, boom, the idea was born. I presented it to uh, Axel and Slash when they got there. And uh, they said, are you for real? (laughs) I said, yeah. When I I say go, just do whatever you want. Destroy this place. And uh, I'll never forget because I said, go. And it was like that one second of hesitancy that seemed like an hour, but it was just one second. And then, boom, they went for it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, all right, I'm calling the play-by-play on this deal here. How am I going to make this you know, culminate into something uh, with uh, an exclamation point at the end of it, with an impact at the end of it? And uh, luckily, I don't know where it came from, but there was this beam that was coming across and as it came across, as I'm calling the play by play, boom! It, it whacked me upside the head, and I thought, okay, Ash, time to conk out. And so I just collapsed over yeah, the, side it, it of the chair. It looked like the
0: frame of a coffin or something.
1: Yeah, it was great. I thought it was a beam or something like that, and uh, and uh, it bonked me in the head, and I collapsed from that. And that kind of like ended the bid, man. It was uh, the crazy part about it was it was just fun. And uh, the thing about it was that later on, yeah, uh, not MTV, um, uh, Rolling Stone magazine designated that moment as one of the top 40, because top 40 was an ancient uh, radio term. Yeah, Casey Kasem, right? The, the best. Uh, yeah, exactly. One of the top 40 greatest moments in MTV history. So I came in at number 35, man. So <laughs>
2: that
1: was uh, that was pretty cool. But I'll never forget uh, meeting these guys. And uh, I said to Axel, I I read that, uh, that you're from Indiana, where are you from? Said Lafayette, and I said, "Oh well, I used to play in uh, in Roadmaster over there. Oh, I used to come see you guys all the time. So when he was a kid, he would come watch Roadmaster because Lafayette's where Purdue University mm. is, and you know we play the college campus parties and and all that kind of stuff. So we had a nice uh, talk about that, and then of course see the game Axl Rose and the various incarnations through the years, and, and that's uh, uh, quite a story in its own right, also, but the the great part about that was that that this whole thing started up with a spontaneity that turned into something that would be as historic as this is, especially as big as the band had and has become and to uh, think that that uh Rolling Stone magazine will put you in there as a part of rock and roll history, man. That's like something I never uh, even could uh, think of. So it's just been magnificent by one. Everybody know: I don't care what you read. I don't care who tells you what. (laughs) I'm telling you the truth. You believe whatever you want to believe, but that's how that whole thing
0: came down. Who wouldn't believe Smash? Who wouldn't believe you? And and it was just a... (laughs) Because I know how my brain... Where, well, I should say I've come to understand that my brain works weird, my chemical imbalance. So some people are like, how did you come up with that yeah. idea? I don't know. But the did, was there anything that kind of sparked the idea of? Because yeah, familiar with the Who being legendary, destroying hotels and, yeah. and Zeppelin, and right. you knew you were because the the studio looks disheveled, like it looks yeah. like it's about to be destroyed. Did you yeah. make it look worse on purpose? Did you like? Was there anything? or anything no, that sparked the, that specific idea to be like you know what let's just let them get a, uh, just have them, them destroy it like anything that sparked that idea within you
1: yeah the the idea came from the who and Keith moon throwing TVs out the you know out of our hotel So you just put two and two, and two you know, together.
0: Have, I I not know yeah, if and you were the
1: title of the album. Okay. You know And here we are, we're going ahead to destroy the set anyhow. So let these boys destroy it. And uh, you put it all together. And like I said, you got a piece of rock and roll history there. It's just been an amazing blessing, especially every October when it comes around. Where any, uh, you know, uh, these boys come back out uh, one more time, shall we say, on tour, then I'll uh, I'll be getting calls and telling the story and everything. And it's just a... Uh, it's just part of the beauty of what is rock and roll, and that is it's a, it, it is an irreverent uh, disdain for the prim and proper. And yet at the same time, you got to be prim and proper to the irreverence.
0: Hmm. And they wrote they that line, and they, they still do. Uh, so you know what? Let's break it down. I posted... Uh, the question, what was your favorite part of the interview? And I gave a few options on our Facebook and Twitter uh, that Stephen holding a, a tire rim the entire time uh, slash forgetting where he is. Uh, we'll talk about that. Of course, the destruction itself uh Axel's hat, which is pretty cool it's in his eyes the yeah. entire time, very low down, right, or I even gave the option of well, maybe I understand now uh since you went to uh predominantly black high school your 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 afro your mullet that was a pretty great moment in the uh, the video and interview as well, your hairstyle.
1: Well, yeah. That, and the mustache uh, was combo. of the early mullets, right? <laughs> right? Right, right. But, you know, one of the reasons those guys were like that, because uh, I'm not saying they were, but there's a possibility that uh, they had a nice little high going, a little buzz going. But oftentimes what bands would do, especially the DJs, because oftentimes DJs weren't musicians. And so what they would do is try to be intimidating in a way, mm-hmm. because these guys were, were phony to their place, meaning... You haven't lived the musician's lifestyle. You haven't written songs. You haven't had hits. You haven't had losses. You haven't experienced this yet. Are you over here as the as the front on this show? Show me you're worthy of my respect. And mm-hmm. so one of the ways they tried to go, and I'm not saying this just a, a guns and, and roses. I'm talking about a lot, a lot of musicians. Sure. Based on my time. But I experienced what they've experienced, the hits, and the and the losses, and uh, I was able to sit up there with them because I was one of them, and, you know, respect begets respect, man, so I was fortunate in that fashion.
0: I, I love your, because I want to talk about your interview style, because that's something, a conversation I've been having on social media with my listeners, but I want to give a few of them a shout-out for the comments they've been leaving uh, about the video, some of their favorite moments. Uh, <laughs> uh, Wendy said, was Duff even there? So facetiously, of course, because he was the only one I think that we didn't talk. Right. Uh, Ernesto said Axel falling down at the end and Steven making fun of him. <laughs> uh, Tori says Izzy being being high and fixing his hair and trying to take part in the conversation or whatever yeah. it was he was doing. Uh, yeah. What else we got? Let's let just look at Twitter. Uh, J- Jen, oh, I just lost it. I want to. Oh. I will find it again, and I may or may not edit this on Twitter. See, this is why I need a producer. This is why I need a, a, an actual producer. There we go. Uh, so Jen writes, "Is he being high as fuck?" Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, we'll get to the part, and you'll see if it's right. I thought because when I first watched it that slash was high as shit. Maybe he was like, "What you why He he didn't know where he like where the show was. Uh, but Marco on yeah. Twitter writes, "Love the interview." Uh, slash is forgetting it wasn't broadcast live. I believe it was being recorded Thursday with the GNR show on Friday night. But Smash yeah. was reminding Slash it was quote Saturday. Uh, so is that what happened? That it was it, it, that was the mistake that he just wasn't it wasn't like a because we'll play it and you'll hear them all laugh at him. But yeah. Uh, so it was obviously pre-taped, obviously, and now you yeah, tra- it,
1: was, it was recorded. It was recorded and then placed in the appropriate slot because uh, back then I think it was Saturday nights, maybe Friday nights, but I think it was Saturday nights that Headbangers Ball landed. You know, so these boys had rolled in in accordance to whatever their concert or promotional schedule would be, and uh, then they were placed in in the correct slot.
0: All right, cool. So let me uh, let's play some of this and see. What was the last time you listened to it? by the way, or, or watched it. Uh,
1: when, when you first approached me, I watched it again. The first time, uh, I'd say about three years, something like that.
0: Wow. Okay. All right. So I'm glad you're not too sick of it, you know. I don't know. Like I
1: said, man, you know, you know what this is, man? This is like Sinatra having to sing my way over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. It is a blessing like I never even conceived mm-hmm. when it first came down.
0: Right on. All right. So let's uh, relive that. Smash
3: right here in the middle of the head-banging ball, Uh uh-huh, and with us, one of the groups. They say the Stones to the 60s were the kings of their genre. They say Aerosmith in the 70s was the same thing they say in the late 80s going into the 90s. Oh, pardon me. It is these boys right here, Guns and Roses, out of Los Angeles. These guys come from all over the place. Which, uh, you guys are going back and forth on these cameras here. <laughs> right here we got Stevie. We got Duff right over here. We got my man Slash right over here. Izzy next to him and W. Axel Rose, a period after W, if you would, please.
2: Now, Gotta here's what the story
3: him. is. Fellas, they say you guys are cocky. They say you're insolent. They say, honestly speaking, you guys are uh, a bunch of wackos. Uh, wackos. Now, now I guess. Got-
0: that was your first question? You guys are wackos? <laughs> why uh, Why was that your first question? I mean, I love the slickness of it. Again, what? the old school radio. It's just, I'm jealous of it. But then, uh, so, yeah. you, guys are, you guys are a bunch of weirdos. What's up well, with that? Well,
2: <laughs> you,
1: you, you ask a question like that, <clears throat> because in your study, in your preparation for the interview, one of the things I like to do is be outlined, not necessarily so prepared, but at least be outlined. Me too. And one of the, thing, one of the, things, one of the things that you do in a situation like these guys are trying to sell an album. We're trying to give them a touch of success through our venue, which happened to be the uh the television and so what you do is if I say you guys are some of the sweetest fellows around uh my goodness, why would you have an album called "Appetite for Destruction"? But if I can paint them as wackos, <laughs> it fits the title. It fits the look of what they're purveying right there, as far as their 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 ambiance coming through the the tube is concerned coming through the television set. So I am setting up to play to that because I know what's coming and that is the destruction of the set and Pleasant Boys would not be destroying the set. Wackos would.
0: Because <laughs> you, you mentioned that you, you spoke to them before, of course, telling them about the destruction they're going to do. So yeah. it wasn't like... Right off, you you had some chemistry and rapport before yeah. you called them yeah. wackos. So I guess yeah. getting away with it in that regard makes sense. All right, a little more. What well, yeah. do you guys feel about that?
3: Uh, that's the image you guys wackos. have got as far as the critics are concerned. We wackos. just don't take any garbage off anybody. That's all. Uh-huh. It's simple. And a lot of people think that's problems. Oh really. Well now, let me ask you this, man. A lot of people are saying that man. you guys are blowing away the headline and act, and a lot of bands don't want to head, uh, don't want you guys on the uh, tour with them. How the Smiley Cruise thing come
0: along, Smiley See, you're you're at the beginning yeah. where, and I'll talk about my my interview with Richard, who's also from St. Louis, like you. You know, yeah. I I couldn't do that. I, you know, I I just couldn't say. So what's going on with? you know, and something, but you, you really went for it.
3: Oh, we're going out with them. in yeah. A few, to, uh, what, about a week. Well, it seems actually, like they out that, um, a lot of the bands after they've had taken the time to like, listen to the record and stuff. We're getting calls, Axl, of a lot of major bands you know, that really like the record, nah. you know, but when you, when they've already got an opening act set up, yeah, you know, it just, you have to wait till there's an opening to go out there with them. I like what we're doing. Cause we're, the tours were like doing a little bit with this band, a little bit with this band, rather than yeah. doing like a whole year with one act.
0: I'm just well, uh, I
3: read somewhere where you guys have a, uh, a situation where you don't necessarily like certain acts. Let me throw out some names. Oh, Aerosmith, how you guys uh, feel about no, that? No, it's nice. See, I, I,
0: mean, I love that. you Are you trying to start shit? Like, What, what was the <laughs> impetus behind that? Like, hey, I'm going to say, you know, fuck things up for you with Aerosmith. Or no? Or are you just well, having fun? You know, uh,
1: in in a way, you got to throw you you got to throw down, and so in the throwdown, one of the senses that comes off of this is how deep can I go with these guys? So if they handle Aerosmith in a certain way, I'll know maybe I shouldn't go deeper with the next band. Maybe I should go even heavier with the next band, but it depends on the setup and their response to it.
0: Right on. And we got to go to this part of the interview. We have to talk about this.
3: Guns and roses right here on MTV. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen, together on the count
0: of four, let's rock. One, two, three, four. Let's rock. Silence. They, They didn't do anything. Anything. Oh, wait, I gotta hear that again.
3: Together on the count of four let's rock. One, two, three, four, let's rock.
0: <laughs> Just crickets. <laughs> what was that uh, moment uh, that's like? Fantastic.
1: So like well, I, I tell you I tell you what, what that was was their saying to me in my opinion. What they're saying to me is, Hey, you are asking the questions, but we're controlling the show. So I understand that attitude because I, in my I place as a rock man. and roller, prior to that in the years before, had done the same type of thing with somebody might be interviewing you on your local TV station. AR hey, local band Roadmasters uh, just sold 5000 <laughs> albums. And so you want to you want to show a touch of. Well, it's rock and roll, so your respect oftentimes is shown in disdain. And the guy who understands that that disdain is respect knows how to bump off of it in a way that's going to get the best out of those you were interviewing.
0: (laughs) What did you feel after when they didn't do anything, when they just said, were you like, come on, guys? Well, the the thing about it is. It's like going up for a high five and they just don't do it. By doing nothing,
1: what they're trying to do is intimidate you into scattering Mm. and scattering in your thoughts, losing your place in the flow. And uh, and uh, I understand that because before you boys met me, I already did this stuff. Hmm. So I was fortunate to be able to be on their level because. I knew their level. I was familiar with their level. I, at various points in time in my time, created their level. You know, so I understood what they were doing, and it was all part of the imagery that – really was coming into its its initiality as opposed to the way, you know, various people are imaging nowadays. It, it all came about by bands like the Rolling Stones, by the Who, by the Beatles, the kind of image that they would put forth. And their image was appetite for destruction, which means we're ready to kick everybody's ass. Mm-hmm. All right? So we are not afraid to destroy, neither are we afraid to be destroyed. <laughs> yeah. and with that in mind, you can't F with me, and mm. that's what that was.
0: Right on. Uh, I love how I, that's it,
1: the psychology of it, my man. And
0: wow, yeah, that's uh, that's deep, and I, I totally see that. I totally can understand that. And the reason why you do is because you're on both sides of you know what they experienced, and obviously the uh, the radio production part of it. So let's yeah. get to uh. the the appetite for destruction, the uh, the epic moment.
3: We are kicking ass now, man. Yeah. I mean, all over the place. Oh he no, this is um, last-
0: so this, uh, this is when Slash. "Quote unquote," forgot. I just think it's a funny thing to hear. So maybe what you were thinking in this moment—that's coming first. Uh-huh, right.
3: no, uh... no, 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 It's last night because. Yeah, it was last Saturday. Day. where's your head at? Yeah, man. Last night,
2: telling you, man, <laughs> 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 <Your manscaps laughs> with another world. Here.
3: Well, here's what I got to ask because I understand it. When you guys go, you are very well. I loved I...
0: The, the axle web. Ha ha! It's so funny. <laughs> that was great. No, no, no.
3: You guys, I understand it are very well known for your uh, interior decorating capability along with the great rock and roll. 30 degrees. And, and as I understand, uh, you guys have redecorated many uh, a motel room, and I look at this beautiful we just, we break we have all yeah, the time. Gentlemen, uh, oh, if I gave you 30 nice, seconds, do you think that we uh, got some dates coming up? We well, yeah. some hotels that we're <laughs> going to be visiting. What, what motels do we
2: have to, <laughs> <laughs> to look forward to? <laughs> it's, our, it's, our, it's our motel tour Steve. Yes.
3: Anyhow, we're playing October 23rd at the Ritz. Tomorrow uh-huh. uh-huh. night, nice. uh, okay. the 25th, the 25th for October 20th. Oh, oh, I He tries to that. redeem oh, himself okay. with the <laughs> dates,
0: uh-huh. and now he oh, got right.
3: it. October 27th Love in it. Boston, and October 29th in the Vegas, and-, and Brooklyn. And Brooklyn. And Brooklyn. Yeah. Fellas, this. Uh, Tell that appetite for destruction. No problem. If appetite for destruction is any indication, you guys are gonna destroy a whole lot when it oh. comes to rocking and rolling. Good luck to you. And I'm gonna ask you guys now. I'm gonna give you 30 seconds to redecorate Obviously, this room. Please On your watch mind. this if you have Go, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. What we have before us here is redecoration, unlike any I've ever seen.
0: Axe oh falls God. off the table. Ladies and gentlemen, you
3: know it's starting to look a little more like home. These boys have such a touch. They have such a beautiful artistry about them. them. Oh i have never in my life ever seen anything done like it looks like a framing of a coffin that hits you in the
0: head and the (laughs) unbelievable and then you just pass out and you the composure you held you the play-by-play everything about it was brilliant and you can't create that you can't stage that you can't you can't do that again now because it's it's been done it was a -a once-in-a-lifetime thing and you know, you handled that. No, I don't think anyone else could have... Uh, I know you were between uh, Headbanger Ball VJs, but I don't think anyone else could have handled that quite like you did.
1: Well, I appreciate it, buddy. But uh, yeah, all in all, it's it's about uh, entertainment value. And fun is what ought to be translated into entertainment value, because MTV, in those days, I don't watch it uh, anymore because I don't think they play any music anymore. But no. uh, <laughs> no. uh, in those days... In in those days, the entertainment value was all these videos, man, and and, and these looks at bands that maybe we, <laughs> even though the tickets were like five or ten bucks, mm. we wouldn't have enough money to go see these bands. But now we could see them, courtesy of video, and that was our getting into the concert. You understand what I'm saying? Because a lot of us, I'll never forget, man. One of our, uh, my favorite bands and our band's favorite band uh, was uh, Jethro Tull. And, yes, well, Jethro Tull and, yes, were coming to the Northside Armory in Indianapolis. We didn't have no money to get in. We were struggling musicians. But back then, right along the side of the building, because nowadays they're made out of aluminum, you can't do it. But along the side of the building was a st- steel or cast iron metal you know, gutter spout and somebody opened up the bathroom window at the corner of the building there and guys were climbing up the gutter spout to go up to the second floor to jump in the bathroom window to get into the balcony to see yes and Jethro Tall so me and my buddies, one at a time, we climbed up the gutter spout because it could hold you because it was steel. You see what I'm saying? It was cast iron. It was locked into the building. You can't do that now because the aluminum would uh, bend in your, in your hands uh, at your weight, and especially the angle, trying to climb up uh, the side of a building like Batman and Robin, you know, to jump <laughs> into the bathroom window. <laughs> and uh, that's that's what we did. MTV got us that opportunity to jump into the window, man.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's an era i really wish i i was a part of and i i don't want to sound lame but i feel like i have an old soul were I, I was born in the wrong decade and that's what i i'm i'm very appreciative that i'm able to do with with podcasting now at first i looked yeah. at it like anybody can do a podcast like anybody can be a model on instagram it's just there was right. really nothing to it but to be a part of you know iHeartRadio radio i felt you know gave me legitimacy and of course now the guests and everything so it's gotten to a yeah. certain level and i wasn't sure how th- there was no par- there were no parameters to on doing a podcast other than it's audio people talking yeah so right. like having you on and having break down that video to me is you know i have that old mtv spirit of the headbangers ball, and yeah, it, it's a yeah. show. There's a production value. People work hard on it, but there's an organic feel to it. That's right. So, and I, I do want to mention, because uh, it, it just made me think about, uh, you know, because back then people uh, depended upon the videos, but now a lot of people still do, even though MTV doesn't play, but they depend on the yeah. internet. And playing the video off uh, YouTube, which I don't know what version, how many times that's been uploaded, uh, because that didn't, that particular one did not have a lot of views. And I'm just uh-huh. hopeful, because I want people to go and, and watch it, of course, if they haven't already, or rewatch it after this interview, uh, that it doesn't get taken off. Because, Smash, yeah. uh, there's been a weird copyright thing going on in the GNR world. I mean, Facebook uh-huh. and Instagram and Twitter, they have their protocol set up, and it's been difficult uh you know, even when it's legal, it's not talking about like actual copyright yeah. material, making stuff off it. So, um, I'm assuming I don't know Viacom owns that. Just to give them, as I was giving cre- credit, credit to Slash's interview, I'll give credit to right. them. Uh, but I also do uh, want to mention because there are people who listen, Smash, who would intend to do me harm, uh, uh-huh. th- that copyrighted material is allowed unless it's less, uh, um, it has to be less than thirty seconds. Or is being right. used for your editorial, you have to be talking over the right. uh, the music, and you have to be talking yeah. about the music as well. So that's exactly what we just did with a, a video. Yeah. So I, yeah. I just want this – point being, I want this to continue to live not just within this podcast but online because that really is a special moment. You know, It's yeah. like when you go back and watch Ed Sullivan stuff or you go back yeah. and watch uh, uh, Johnny Carson stuff. And a lot of times I will take that yeah. over what's going on today because there was a certain yeah. spontaneity to it a certain feel that is not that is missing uh today so uh where do you think that you got that personality from so cuz for me and I think I had mentioned you know I, I was very nervous uh, <laughs> right. uh being in radio at the beginning and I think it took me many years to get comfortable in my skin I still have issues with it but that's between me and my therapist but I'm saying as far as radio I'm actually pretty good but I grew up shy for someone like you who was able to take you know, what Guns N' Roses was giving you and you fell on, on – I don't know if I could do that even now. It doesn't have to be with GNR, mm-hmm. but it could, like, did you always have that, that confidence in you to, to be, um, I guess, a musician first and then to do radio and just to be up there interviewing, obviously, bands like Guns N' Roses and, and the countless others you've interviewed? Did you always have yeah. that, that core personality? Uh yeah it just
1: uh, really begins from when you're a kid and you're like uh, the the joker in school shall we say uh I've been fortunate uh, to that point and to the now in fact with Smash Band here in St. Louis I've always been a stage performer and uh I Mick Jagger is the one that gave me the the impetus in my mind to become a singer because I I was not, am not a, a good singer. But in the truth of it, neither is he. And the thing about it is it's about style. I agree. What he has is style and style sells people buy style. So people dig your style. Then you will have all the confidence in the world hmm. to go ahead and do your thing. Now, on the other hand, sometimes when people don't buy your style, it gives you even more confidence. Some people call that uh, egotistical, but at the same time, don't we all have egos if we don't work them correctly? Sure. Then uh, we don't uh, promulgate and and put ourselves forth. And so, it just depends how you lay it forth. But I've been fortunate that uh, that I, I I'm I'm a front man. And so I know how to talk to the guys who are on the front. I know how the guys in the back line. I know the guys who are on the side and I've just been fortunate to be able to talk to them and it's It's all a matter of beyond experience, having the guts. To go ahead and be yourself, man, and that's one of the things I loved about the musicians of that era. Uh, and I ain't saying this uh, wrong because everything changes and everything. But a lot of these youngsters out there today who are in the in the business of, of music are in the business of being a manufacturer, uh, more or less, uh, an automobile to the mm-hmm. to the song. Yeah, and you're carrying the song, and and so you're carrying the song. You got to carry it to to hit all the way down the road, you know, and if you're lucky you get to be an automobile to the next song, you know, and if if not, somebody else will. Because there's always somebody else will. There's always that. So we were fortunate in that day that that you could have more than one song at a time. You could have an album like Appetite for Destruction, got three or four, just to use the term, radio hits. Then the rest are what's called uh, album-oriented rock type of hits. They were like the deeper cuts, as they're often called. Uh, and so you have something like that, and in its way is a masterpiece of art, where oftentimes a lot of the stuff that's out there now, and I say in all of it, but a lot of it's out there is just you just paint the building. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I see a lot of today's artists, you know, recently with the Grammys and the <laughs> Super Bowl halftime show, whatever that was, yeah. is that they're, they're artists with an, uh, an expiration date, and and that's why I think about, you know, are we going to be looking at the the same like if we were looking at an interview uh, with Maroon Five uh, from when they started all yeah. these years later, as we just did with Guns N' Roses from 1987. No, I mean you're not going to know about Cardi B in, yeah. in, in the same amount of time that GNR has existed as a brand as a band. You're not. I mean that. I mean, of course, I don't know this as a fact. I'm not God, but that's I. That's what I believe based upon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just curious of your experience because you obviously you've been around. For longer, I mean, is it what? What has changed? I guess uh, for you, uh, music. Would you want? Would you want to be an MTV, uh, MTV VJ today? Even though they don't play music, but is that something <laughs> you would want to be today?
1: Uh, based on the definition of what I've seen a few years ago, I haven't watched MTV in a long time. Uh, that's just not my style. I wouldn't win in that situation. The interview with Guns and Roses was a win because I was of them, I'm not of those guys that are on m t v right now The
0: fit wouldn't be right oh, you don't have uh, uh face tattoos like post malone no none of that
1: uh, I guess I can get the, the skin decals and all that kind of stuff <laughs> but uh, but I, I that's just that's just and and you know it's kind of like in my generation, our rebellion was our long hair. In this generation, oftentimes you can look at tattooing as the rebellion of the youth. You understand what I'm saying? And so, yeah, you see guys who put the, you know, the 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 writing on their faces. The writing's all over their bodies, and that's one way that they are expressing themselves. Our way was in <laughs> the growth of our hair.
0: Yeah, and, and, so, and now everybody uh, has a man bun. So what does that say? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. it used to be rebellious, and now it's all perked yeah. up and nice. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Whatever. Right.
1: Uh, so, so you know, each generation has its thing, you know. It's kind of like my generation, uh, our urban music was Motown, was the Philadelphia sound, was coming out of uh, Memphis, was coming out of Muscle Shoals, that kind of stuff. Now, you know, it's coming out of the uh, R&B and the hip-hop uh, uh, side and the rap side and all that, and that's that's what it is. But uh, ours was different. And it's almost like when our stuff started coming in, my mom and dad, who used to listen to Sinatra and Victor Damone and Perry Coleman and all that, man, that that stuff wasn't hip anymore, you know, <laughs> and it, it's just the stepping into each generation has its uh, definition of what is hip It's uh, like Tower oh, Power sang yes. in the song, What is Hip? Sure. What is hip? Tell me, tell me, do you think you know <laughs> what is hip? Mm-hmm. You really know. The passing years will show you on a hip trip. Baby bigger than hip. What is hip? do 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 And so that song kind of really it encapsulates it at all because each generation has their hip. And um, as hip as mine was, it definitely ain't no more. <laughs> so, I know where I would place myself. If I place myself on MTV today, it would be as uh, almost like a Obi Wan Kenobi type of fella. Look how Obi Wan Ben Ruby, all right? <laughs> I'd be Obi Wan Ben Ruby on, on that cause Nice. I am not of them. And yet, by not being of them, uh, there's something they might seek in me that would uh, give me proper placement. But all in all, uh, me not being of them, I got to know where my place is, and you stay in your place, and you expand your place. It might include them, but uh, right now I got to stay in my place because I am not of that ilk.
0: Mm, you're above that ilk. You're you're too cool for that. Uh, Other, no. I mean, we, we just got a <laughs> out of that ilk. We we just got a singing uh, expose. Uh, what else do uh-huh. you, What else do you play, or like, do you play an instrument in in uh, your band or just in general? Yeah.
2: I, uh,
1: I think I
0: asked you. Well, I am a singer, and I
1: don't play anything. Okay. I'm, uh, for, I'm I'm the guy with the business acumen, and I handle handle the business of, of all my bands that I've been in. I always handled the business uh, because that way, the musicians that I was associated with and I myself knew that we weren't going to, shall we say, get screwed. And so, uh, for the various levels that uh, that I've been at. I always maintained a uh, reliability to the folks, the fellas, the men, the women that I've been fortunate enough to work with on a musical basis that uh, we had longevity in these uh, bands and in our tenure with each other because they knew they weren't getting screwed. Right on. (laughs) So, you know, I've been, uh, you know, I've had people criticize me. Well, How come you don't use your name, Asher Ben Ruby? And I do. But uh, in the early days, I did not because Asher Ben Ruby in the '60s, '70s, and even part of the uh, '80s and on into the '90s, uh, Asher Ben Ruby was a tough name for people to deal with, especially if you want to try to make a broadcast career out of it. You know,
0: you wouldn't just go by Ash. You can just go by Ash. That's pretty cool. Well, uh, that
1: might have been. That might have been. I didn't think that, but back then, uh, a lot of uh, guys had what I call caricature names, pseudonyms that were caricature. Characteristic. I, uh, always had, yeah. yeah, I always had, uh, nicknames for, uh, guys in the band because I never called, uh, Steve, Steve. I called Steve, you know, Southside Steve, or whatever you might call sure. Yeah, so I uh, came up with a nickname for myself back then. I weighed about 400 pounds and, uh, mm. back then, uh, my, one of my favorite singers was Nat King Cole, who was a balladeer of sorts, a, a crooner. And Nat King Cole was a great singer. And uh, because I wasn't a great singer, I could kind of put a, a World's Collide clash type of thing together in the bumping of these two names. Because one of my favorite movies was King Kong. And so I named myself Nat King Kong. Okay, because of my size, and I went by the name Nat King Kong for about six months, until one day I was uh, rooming. Uh, we were playing in Chicago, and Toby Myers, who went on to play with Mellencamp, played bass for Mellencamp for a multiple of years. So uh, woke me up in the middle of the night, it was about three four o'clock in the morning. And he said, "I got a I got a name for you." I said, "Okay, this better be good, man, because you woke me up." And I he said, "The Mighty." Adam A D A M smasher just like that the mighty adam smasher
2: mm.
1: i said you know that's not bad because i uh, you know had a had and still have a an explosive type of singing style like maybe springsteen uh, would be a, an analogy bob seger would be an analogy to the singing style and so the Mighty Adam Smasher I became, and it was a catchy name. And eventually uh, I wanted to get rid of the Mighty Adam and just shortened it to the Smash because I was working at DC 101. was doing a gig and an older man who was probably my age now, well, I was a younger man, came up to me and said, son, you were a Smash. Hmm. And I thought to myself, OK, I'm getting rid of the Mighty Adam and just shorten it to Smash when I came to St. Louis Nobody knew ever that I was the mighty Adam, but uh, they just knew me as the smash, and I have that nickname. And it's almost like I'm, I'm doing a John Cougar Mellencamp type of thing. <laughs> sure. I've been doing that for the last few years and just, uh, you know, just
0: phasing out the Cougar part, you know? I got you. And that's cool. Uh, when yeah. I, I, I forget if I've mentioned this on, on the podcast itself, but it's like when you asked me before we started recording, you're like, what should I call you? You know, Brandon or Brando, uh, you know, yeah. I, I prefer just in real life, Brandon, because and this is before the podcast and everything. I would always yeah. say, I'm not Axel. I'm not Cher. Yeah. I'm not Madonna. Yeah. I just don't have that ego yeah. to be called that in, in right. real life. So I'd always introduce myself as Brandon, but people just like calling me Brando. It just is what it is. Uh, uh I would have I mean, I'm not even just saying this to sound cool. Uh, girls <laughs> yes. specifically uh, say it. My girlfriend now wants to call me Brando, but she knows it bothers me a little bit, so she doesn't uh, do it. But in So in college, uh, some kid randomly came up to me in high school first. He goes, Brando, that rhymes with commando. I had never been called uh, I, Brando before. So in college, yeah. when I had to come up with a... Uh, a name. I just went with Brando the Commando, <laughs> nah, and I think it, after college I just dropped the uh, the Commando. Figured I had grown out of that. And this was when I was doing radio up in in Poughkeepsie, or when I was leaving uh, Cape Cod, where I where I was Brando, and I was moving to. Um, well, I lived on Long Island, but I was commuting oh. to Poughkeepsie. I was like, you know what? It was when people started calling me Brando, and I just didn't like it. like, let me just go by Brandon. How do I make that into a radio name? A cool one. So I went with, uh, or I thought of, thankfully I didn't use it, um, Brandon Irons. And, you know, like branding irons. So I I was like, you know what, let me look it up, see if anyone has it. Oh, somebody yeah. has it, and he was a uh, a gay Canadian porn star. So, uh,
1: ah, I mean, bless that, would that be you a know.
0: Iron too, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean,
1: not, well, if not you ever started me. a if you ever started uh, a trapeze
0: act, I would call you the Flying
1: Brandini. <laughs>
0: okay, duly noted. Duly noted. But, um, I'm, <laughs> okay, am I'm I'm curious though, and um, no, because I, I I can talk to you for hours just about it, not just the the interview, but uh, you know, radio and rock itself, but won't keep you here forever. But I'm curious because we talked about your interview style and I'm yeah. somebody who loves picking people's brains and, and, and the people who've yeah. you know laid the path for me to be where I am today. So uh, last, my last episode, I interviewed uh, somebody I don't know if you've ever met, but he's also from St. Louis, that being Richard Fortas uh, from Guns N' Roses. I have. Oh, so you you have you've interviewed him before or you've met him? Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, You know, I haven't because that was uh, past my time when I was working at Casey and he came back from his time with Guns N' Roses. That was I was done with Casey and moved on to uh, I wound up doing uh, oldies radio and political talk radio.
0: Mm, Okay, because I think it was on Casey that he. Maybe it was like a month or so ago. He did an interview where he said something yeah. uh, that once Slash is done with the the tour, he he believes that they're going to go back and do more recording, and that kind of huh. blew things up. You know, it's obviously yeah. all because it's Guns N' Roses articles. The fact that most of them come from me, it seems, because it, it's hard because these guys don't do. A lot of interviews. Right. So when I had the opportunity to interview Richard Fortas, even though I've had great guests on, this was my first time with the current GNR uh, person. So, you know, just just not there to ruffle any feathers or to do anything outside the box. Just I appreciate you giving me time. Let's see what happens. And I I don't think it's too much of a secret that a lot of these guys, even ex-members, don't always want to talk about. Uh, Guns N' Roses. They want to talk about new projects, and I had Correct. and I've mentioned when I interviewed uh, Tommy Stinson uh, that he wanted to focus on his new band, Cowboys in the Campfire. Not talk so much about the replacements or GNR. And uh-huh. to that person, and who I said to Fortis's people, I because like I I understand. I never take it personally. I said no, of course, but are they okay with some generic? You know, questions, uh, favorite song, yeah. things, tour, nothing pressing, you know, like not like what kind of drugs or, you know, nothing, nothing crazy. Uh, yeah. But this yeah. person and and what they believe, a lot of interviewers will say, yeah, yeah, okay. And then once the interview happens, they're peppering them with questions that make them uncomfortable or just th- th- things that don't help promote what they need to promote and are just very selfish. So I'm very conscious of that. So I, I just don't do that. So when it comes around to – so when it came around to interviewing uh, Richard, and I had his a bandmate of a, a side project they're doing now. I think their first show of Headtronics was in St. Louis uh, a week mm-hmm, or so that's ago. That's right. Yeah. So, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So we interviewed uh, – I interviewed Freak Bass as well from that band who's from yeah. Cincinnati. So uh-huh. for the most part, I had very positive and thank you for everybody reviews, uh, especially those who are just saying, oh, congratulations. You've got a GNR member. It's just so funny. Uh, that this little podcast that could has gotten this far, uh, but some, and I <laughs> want to bring attention to it and I, and i yeah. i 'll preface it with I appreciate those who criticized it for not having anything what they would consider breaking news or anything difficult yeah. uh, i i 'll just say in my g n r forum uh tom twenty one twelve there 's a rush reference uh, i won 't yeah. read his entire comment because it 's long. But just said, you know, he wanted to hear some uh, harder questions, you know, maybe not sure. necessarily to bust balls, but some Chinese democracy yeah. stuff. You know, is it really that that difficult? And the point, like, if you listen, and I don't know how you are, you, when I even mentioned how would you compare, you know, playing Chinese stuff versus use your illusion, you, I'd feel mm-hmm. the slightest slightest pushback. I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. this isn't worth it. But what I saw mm-hmm. from a lot of people's reactions uh was that they appreciated my style because it, it it lends itself what it's gonna like just like what it is, it's gonna do with Tommy Stinson to a second interview that they trust me. Yeah. And I may have gotten nothing. And at this point yeah. I if it's somebody I'm a fan of, right? Like if you're a yeah. fan of Getty Lee, would you wanna would you yes, you'll want to hear Getty Getty Lee talk about Rush. But would yeah. you enjoy a conversation with Getty Lee talking about hockey? just hearing him <laughs> so I, I that's how I, I look at it i get these I people know. on and yeah. it's just you know an opportunity to talk i'm not doing a a cross examination because i feel a lot of these guys may not you know if they expect every interview to be about the same stuff would they yeah. be well, how would that conversation go so i'm just curious right. uh, as to your approach your your thoughts on it because i i definitely uh appreciate and thank you to to richard for giving me time uh, I wouldn't change anything, but I'm glad it was at least brought to my attention so I could say that, that these people mm-hmm. aren't right against on. talking about GNR. But if the focus is not on them, a lot of interviewers won't do it, and I just want to make sure I establish a good connection with somebody so they remember me. Right. So I'm not like every other person right. ever. So that's... Right, uh,
1: Well, you do that in the kind of questions that you ask. I'll, I'll never forget uh, interviewing uh, Getty Lee. Uh, and I had never heard anybody uh, asking this question uh to that point at least I say it's about eighty eight maybe eighty nine something like that. They were playing at uh the uh arena here in St Louis, and so I was the host for the show, and they were doing an interview on Casey. I was the interviewer, and I thought you know let me just get something uh from this guy, and that is Getty, what kind of name is Getty? <laughs> i never heard that name before. He said, well. We're from, I think it was Polish descent. Yeah, okay. And, uh, right. and, and see, we're from Polish descent. My, my, my grandmother could never, in her accent, could never say Gary. My name's Gary. And she would call me Getty. And from that point on, I became Getty Lee because my grandmother gave me the pet name Getty because she couldn't pronounce Gary. And that's the kind of stuff that people don't know. And when you can grasp that from uh, an artist, that, uh, of course, ups them in their. appreciation that comes from their audience, but it also brings them down to the level of their audience, if if down to means anything, Mm -hmm. but it keeps it on on a level that's a level of relatability, and there's no greater, there's no greater. Uh, capability of getting the message across than relatability. And so that's why I said that a little bit earlier. I'm a musician like these guys. I may not have, uh, you know, I may not be on the, the level of Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones, but I know what he has gone through. I know what he has done and he knows what I've done. It's kind of like, okay, I can talk to this guy because this ain't some kid out of the suburbs who loves this particular kind of music and that's fine if that's what it is but this guy's a step beyond because he actually toured this guy's a step beyond because he's actually had stuff thrown at him at the bar this guy's a step beyond because he's hooked up with some of the the, the finest and some of the worst women <laughs> in, in in his life you know all that stuff that musicians uh at least did I, I don't know i i don't tour with them any longer what they're doing nowadays i don't know what they're doing. But in in our day, you know, uh, we we had a relatability and that's that's uh, the key thing is when you're interviewing anybody is to have a touch of relatability. Now you don't necessarily know my whole story. That's why you ask questions, but the the relatability is, Oh, you grew up in Chicago. I grew up in Schaumburg, just North of Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We probably know the same place, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So there's a relatability. And so mine started at the level of musicianship and that's how I've been blessed with this whole thing uh, since day one.
0: Beautiful. I mean, and so that makes me feel better because that's what I did. And, and maybe you'll laugh really? at me. Uh, you know, I, I had visited St. Louis uh, just once. Um, I was telling Richard that years ago, my dad ha- had taken me to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota a couple of times. But he also took me yeah. to Washington University in St. Louis. So I uh-huh. spent some time there. I went to the old Bush Stadium, got to see my, yeah. my former favorite Yankee, Tino, play for uh, uh-huh. the Cardinals and... You know, yeah. Just again, trying to relate to him, and in my typical fashion of just being, you know, I'm prepared, but not, I, I, I called it the, oh, I was inside the arc. He's like, the arch. I'm like, sure. I'm a dumb New Yorker. Yes, yeah, so I was inside the the uh, arch. And like you said, yeah. relating to him, you're right. It For is real. about the relatability. And that's, you know, I, I got plenty of feedback about that, but I definitely want to uh, acknowledge and also say I appreciate those who, who had said, you know, why not harder questions? Because you know what? It mm-hmm. would be great. Like I say, "Hey Richard." So uh, you know, if Richard broke like, "Hey, new Guns N' Roses album coming out to uh tomorrow and uh Axl Rose and Slash are having a baby and and just like all yeah. these like, yeah, that would be very nice if that was the interview, but it wasn't. It was and just don't do what someone else did on the forum. Like, oh, don't even bother listening. Really? Yeah. There's no entertainment value in it because there's nothing. Yeah. So that that's annoying. But everything else I appreciate the criticism. But so yeah, I guess one's your your opinion on it from a veteran, you know, it's a it's a, yeah. it's a, a learning veteran. A good,
2: opening,
1: good opening question to any artist or band, you ready?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that is. And because bands love this. What before you were named Rush, what names did you consider for the band and why did you not use them and why did you use Rush? And bands love to talk about that stuff. So now all of a sudden you've got a relatability because you have an interest in how they came into being. And once you're into a level of being, you want to make sure that uh, people dig the being. And so they will love talking about themselves because they're not bragging on themselves. They're merely extending their life story. And that's one of the keys to the whole thing.
0: Hmm. Did you get to uh, meet any of the guys after that interview? Any like years past, any any interaction with any of the GNR members after that infamous Uh, interview?
1: No. No, no, mm. no, And that's uh, that's wild because... That uh, lightning in a bottle. You know, yeah, that's that, that's what it was. It's like I said, I, I never thought that would be one of the top 40 greatest moments in MTV history, you know, and uh, be signified in Rolling Stone for that, man, because I was just a, a guy who was, like, joyous to be in these early days of this culture shock that was MTV, that was Headbangers Ball. But it was a good shock. It's like you're getting electrocuted, but it's like you you getting electrocuted because it's a buzz on, you know? <laughs> sure. It was great. It was great. And so I got to be a part of that whole deal, and it's just been a magnificent blessing to me. You know, that that was then. I've still got uh, – I'm coming on to 70 now. i got plenty of years left, so, you, do. you know, there's, there's even uh, – as good, if not better, yet to come.
0: I, I agree. Absolutely. Especially with the technology out there, you yeah. know, you, you can do anything, yeah. and with the talent, you still clearly have. Uh, yeah. So where, because you're, you're you're still playing in St. Louis. If people want to get in touch with you, if people want to follow your band, you know, is there any uh, social media stuff you, you want to get out there, any website in particular?
1: Yeah, you can get uh, Asher Ben Ruby, the Smash on Facebook, so I always got all the stuff on there, and then smashband.com has uh uh you know all the things that the band does and then uh I got a website that's getting ready to, to jump on in a in a few here and that's AsherBenRuby dot com. And also to that will be directed to that will be digging the smash, which has been a slogan that I've I've had since uh eighty two, digging the smash dot com. And uh and so those are the the avenues that that you can get a hold of me but Asherbinruby.com may not roll in for about another month but I sent you a little uh, side view of it I don't know if you got a chance to see it Matt, but it's going to be a jam on sight man it's hmm. just uh, magnificent then you know I I I do a lot of things man I'm a fortunate guy that I had a good success in in three major cities Indianapolis DC and st louis uh I had a nice success in new york city for a limited time over there with mtv I had a nice run in phoenix when i was living out there but those are the three cities i had major success in and so i've been fortunate enough i got five websites with uh, plenty of folks on them and mm-hmm. so we have a nice fan and friend base and we let the folks know where they can get hold of me and they do it's Especially with uh, using messenger, everybody uses messenger now, man. People don't call you on your phone no more. They, they text, they text you on your phone, but they call you on messenger. Pretty wild.
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't do that. I, I hit you up on on Facebook, and you were kind enough to uh, uh, respond. Right. But after that, we had a nice long talk. You know, while I was in traffic in NYC and just uh, before this nah, interview. Nah. So, you know, between that conversation and, and now. You're just a national treasure, Smash. <laughs> I, I,
1: oh, well, I, I appreciate, I appreciate that, buddy. But uh, you know what, man? The main thing is, main thing is, and you're going to have, just like people say, well, you weren't hard enough. But you got to remember one thing, man. One man's hard is another man's soft. All right, and one man's soft is another man's hard and everything in between. So just because you didn't ask the questions that this guy wanted you to ask, didn't mean doesn't mean you didn't ask the right questions. You just didn't ask his questions, all right? So if he would have been there in the room with you, maybe you would have, but you weren't Mr. Jones. So <laughs> I did what I did. If you like it, fantastic. If not, there are other avenues for you to pursue. I'm moving on, you know? So you just gotta remember, man, people uh people love you people hate you and everything in between and the main thing is you got to love yourself as it says in the bible man you love yourself and you can go on from that no
0: problem whatsoever maybe you should do some public speaking as well uh, uh, and and I, I definitely wanted to say that's what she said at the beginning of that, but I'm like, he's gonna roll. I'm gonna. That's what it, she said. I'm gonna leave it alone. <laughs> Sorry, it was too. <laughs> I had to compo- restrain myself. <laughs> that's good. Good thing I that's didn't have that funny. on my soundboard. Good thing I didn't have that. I might have clicked
1: it. That is funny. That is funny. Well, I tell you what, well, man, I, I, I'm honored that uh, you would even have uh, interest in me telling the story because I tell you what, I read just a few months ago about some guy. I don't even remember who the guy is, man. I never seen his name before in my life, and he was saying that he was on the set that day, and he was producing for MTV, and it was his idea, uh, all this, and I'm thinking to myself, this is like the third or fourth guy who said it's his idea, it wasn't. It was me getting the okay from Steve Leeds to present it to the stage producer, and that's how this, uh, the whole thing began, so again, they're going to tell you what they want you to hear, I'm going to tell you the truth,
0: you believe whatever you want to believe, you get the truth here on the AFD show as opposed to some, uh, some other sites so asher smash uh, i i appreciate you so much obviously you know i want to stay in touch you're always uh you know welcome back you know i know we broke that that Definitely. interview but you, you're you're a wealth of knowledge and stories so uh just you know have a great day and i really uh, appreciate you so much i uh, appreciate it very much brando you got it what a cool guy and i don't mean just you know he's a nice guy which he is but just like that, Samuel L. Jackson, you know, smoothness, Isaac Hayes, you know, through a white guy from St. Louis, kind of vibe, <laughs> just very awesome. I, I hope you uh, enjoyed that as much as I did. Especially breaking down that that video like a play by play, something I never imagined I would do. Uh, just some great behind the scenes, the truth of how that came together, just awesome. Really uh, fun time recording episode uh, one hundred and five of the AFD show. Uh, so that's it. That's it for this uh this episode. I can tell you a little bit of a cliffhanger from the last episode. Uh, that I was emailing during the show with the rep from Michael Sweet from Striper. It looks like that's going to happen. Yeah, Michael Sweet, the lead singer. Uh, from the legendary uh, Striper. should be interesting to see uh, what he has to say about Guns N' Roses. Uh, I'm going to bring on a friend of mine who uh, used to work here with me and Premier and iHeart, uh, who is just the biggest Striper fan. It, I, I've learned when he was, we worked together for three years, like he he just uh, left to work somewhere else. I have never learned, knew so much about Striper than just from working with him. Uh, and he's an old-school rocker. You know, Loves Kiss, um, GNR was his favorite band in, in high school, so we would talk about rock all the time. So, uh, like many of you uh, who have been on the show, I, I sometimes I just think about, and I have had special guests. It could be a listener, just like you right now, who sometimes sends me a DM or helps me book a guest, which, of course, your reward will always be to co-host, or sometimes I just think, like, you know what? This person, I think, will, will add to this episode, so uh, my friend Tony... Uh, will be the co-host for the Michael Sweet-Striper interview. So looking forward to that very much. Also working on, hopefully will happen, uh, Matt Pinfield. I think that'll be pretty cool uh, for that to happen. Um, And yeah, just the other ones I, I've told you about. Uh, waiting for the right time for Susan Holmes-McKagan. Right time for for Billy Rowe and Jimmy Ashurst dual interview. It's going to be the both of them. That should be uh, fun having them kind of go back with their own stories and shared stories. So that should be pretty cool. Uh, in the meantime, just still working hard. Just working hard and seeing uh, where this podcast is going. And it's, again, all thanks to you. Whether you found us you know, on AlternativeNation.net, uh, they're making, uh, of course, a lot of articles about our podcasts. I always appreciate Brett transcribing those. A lot of times also Ultimate Guitar picks up those articles. So thank you to Ultimate Guitar. Um, iHeartRadio, of course, on the app. Spreaker, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, uh, YouTube. I think we have the first 60 episodes up there, slowly but surely. Uh, Raz Q has helped me uh, put those episodes up. We'll get Raz on again in the future. Don't you worry about that. And even though he's off Facebook, don't forget, you can always email him and find him on RazQ.com same thing with Doug Goldstein. He's not on Facebook anymore. You could find him on Twitter. It's all good. So, thanks. Uh, as far as the uh, the next episode, when are you going to see it? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. No! Fuck it! No! Thanks to the lame ass security, I'm
2: going home.